Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Brianna Cespedes, signatory on the Declaration of Military Accountability. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And tonight is Friday, I'm sorry, third Tuesday, February 13th in the year 2024. We have a very difficult time in our nation right now with the efforts that are being made to cover up everything about this vax issue. And on top of it, the more that we dig into it, there's a deeper agenda at play of attacking our military, not only to dismantle our military, but likely to replace it with a military that lacks wartime experience, and furthermore, a military that's not obedient to the Constitution, but is obedient to the masters that will allow the illegal aliens to get free citizenship. The attack that was waged upon our military was massive. It was an illegal order issued by our senior generals in the, in the military that mandated a vax that originally was an approved product from the FDA, that after, it was, after this mandate was put in place, they did a bait and switch and they put in the Pfizer product, which was approved only for the emergency use authorization, the EUA. That was illegal. You cannot mandate that sort of vax to anybody. That is a violation of the Nuremberg Code. This level of cover-up right now across the nation is huge. And it's across the world. They are doing everything they can to remove the idea that somehow... These people were complicit in the crime, and it's important to understand why. Violating this Nuremberg Code ensures that anybody that was complicit in that can face charges up to death, and those most in involved in it will face a charge of death. So they are doing everything they can to cover their tracks. And to be very clear, the Declaration of Military Accountability, which was signed on 1 January, is a document which brought together 231 signatories. It's a range of veterans and active-duty personnel, I'm included in that. I was asked to be part of that. They are speaking out against and holding very firmly against the mandate of the vaccination, the mandatory COVID death shot. It is important as well that to be able to support that. The DMA is 231 people is, an, is a statement that has signed a document, and that document is available for review at, military, at militaryaccountability.com. And if you go there, you can also find it at, at .net, but .com or .net. If you go to that website, you'll be able to read through the document, and there is a supporting document to have people sign on, which is very important to be able to bring in signatories of the public to support the effort and to continue that fight beyond the, the realms of the military. This is a very critical time to get this sort of support going. This group of people is doing everything they can to erase the histories. And the next level is likely going to be to try to erase this presence altogether by erasing the web. That would be likely. So again, like we've said many times, save everything offline. Nonetheless, 
This is a critical time for our nation to face the level of corruption and treason that was involved to not only take out a nation, but to, de- to, to completely dismantle a military from within. Now, tonight, we are going to hear from Brianna Cespedes. Brianna Cespedes is a young Air Force broadcasting ex- specialist. She is an E-4. She has courage beyond courage. She's, her family is a, she's a, a first full-generation American. Her father was an immigrant from Cuba who raised her on Scripture and the Constitution. And she's a fighter. She's extremely articulate in this fight. She's impressive. If you want to feel a good uplift of what Gen Z can bring, tonight you're going to hear it. She's a powerful voice. And it's important to listen to all that she's been through. They have done everything they can to break her, including sequestering her and isolating her for over 100 days. This is the type of actions that were taken against those that stood for the truth and the righteousness of their authorities under the Constitution to not be forced to do anything against their will, especially for a non-approved product, which was an experimental product. But our leadership in the military is corrupt, and in, and at the same time, it's parallel, it's weak. We lack moral courage in our military, and at this point in time, the significance of the DMA, which you will hear me say many times every time I bring the DMA up, is there is not a single general in our military that is not complicit in the crimes against humanity and treason against our nation, not one. Because every single one of them allowed and approved the mandate of the mandatory vax. That means every single one of them will face charges under UCMJ, which is exactly what this is called for, what is called for in the DMA. The DMA is a document that calls for action legally and ethically, meaning using the processes of, an, of jurisprudence in, through the processes of the Uniform, uniform Code of Military Justice to bring these people's crimes to be judged and therefore that the crimes be judged appropriately for what they are. And at this point in time, that goes far beyond just the general court, which in itself is stunning that we don't have a single general that would not be, that would not be put up in front of UCMJ for treason and crimes against humanity. But that trickles down. Oh, sixes, oh, fives, that would be colonels, lieutenant colonels in the, in the Army, majors, captains, right on down the rank, including sergeants majors, which are tr- supposed to be the soldier's protector, guider, trainer, and, and the soldier's a soldier. But all of these people have violated this. I shouldn't say all. Many have violated in those ranks. Our military has lost its way in terms of ethical and st- strong leadership. We don't have that leadership that doesn't, it will willingly stand up and speak, except where you do get to hear it and you're hearing it in the different ranks across the spectrum is with the group that signed the DMA. Now, before we get going tonight, Patriots, very important to understand the risk in which we currently live. Our nation is under threat. It's a very real threat. And this threat is with people that want to truly engineer a collapse of our nation. That includes food. Hundreds of food processing plants have been destroyed. And we have everything happening to disrupt the the supply chain systems that we currently know. In addition to that, we're having food that's continually being corrupted. And with that, we're seeing even the lack of labor that's even to to process the food to get it to the market. When you add that to upheavals and you add that to the the, the coming crises in our nation with all these immigrants coming in and terrorists that are coming into our, our, 
our borders. You can expect to have major disruptions as we go ahead. So it's important to be prepared. Right now, if you head over to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com, these links are below the podcast. You'll find that they have the, My Patriot Supply has the four-week emergency food kit on sale. It's a great value. Check it out. This is a, a food kit that allows you four weeks of food, 2,000 calories a day, sealed in high-life bags. It'll keep it on the shelf for over 25 years. These are nutritional and healthy meals designed to be perfect for emergency situations, and it's portable, and it is ready to go at any time. So head on over to preparewithbars.com, preparewithbars.com. Don't waste time. These are important times to take this very seriously, making sure you are well prepared. We are in a very interesting window right now as the awakening meets the cabal's insanity, and these two things are in on a course of collision. So again, preparewithbards.com. Patriots, one of the things we're seeing right now is the increasing funding to Ukraine. And why this becomes exceedingly important is to understand what's involved here. The, the funding for Ukraine is part of this panic that's going on in the deep state. And this deep state isn't just limited here, but it's centered here in the United States. Now, the Senate has just passed a bill for funding more money to Ukraine. And what's it, what they're pushing for is to try to mandate this funding, even if President Trump is reelected, that he cannot change it. It's an illegal way of doing business, but it's what they're trying to do. And the reason they're doing that is if, if they can pass this bill, their idea is that they can, and it's now in the House, that they can mandate that President Trump can, must continue that funding. And if he chooses not to and chooses to use diplomacy, then what they're going to try to do is make a case to impeach him again. Why is Ukraine so important? Because Russia has documented over 22 bioweapons labs in Ukraine, and they all link back to every single one of the biopharmaceutical companies here and biomedical companies here in the States. And all of those have links to the Department of Defense, which, take you, which means that they're part of the military-industrial complex. What's at stake here are these people's lives. So they are rapidly funding in this money into Ukraine in a desperate attempt to try to keep Ukraine afloat. When Ukraine's already a dead, it's dead. It's going to lose. There's no question. There's nothing that can sustain it. And whatever Russia's doing in terms of tactics and procedures, which we know, they are destroying every bit of military hardware that we put over there, and they are successfully, thank goodness, destroying the Ukraine mob and mafia. But it's exposing in deep ways, and they are collecting massive amounts of intelligence on the effects of the Western companies that are there developing bioweapons to be used, that were to be used against Russia and being experimented on on Donbass, but it also takes us links back here. And it's important to note that President Trump said China. And so everybody went to Wuhan, and I still believe that Wuhan is a false flag. I don't believe that's where the bioweapon was developed. I think that the bioweapon in particular, the Vax, was developed in Ukraine because there is a there is a city with China in its name. And it's there that I believe they, they incubated it. They used U.S. taxpayer money to do so, and then they brought it back over here and deployed it to kill off Americans and to dismantle our military. This fight is a critical fight for our nation. 
And really at the core of this, it's one of the most important fights of everything going on right now. And the reason is, is that if we can bring accountability to this military, the ripple effect across our nation would be stunning and a ripple across effect across the world would shake the entire world, watching the American military reset itself. The people in the DMA, 231, myself included, are not in a compromising mood. This is not about making bargains or deals. This is holding people to the law. And when people ask, how can this be done? It's being done in a number of, of, of efforts. One is it's being done with connections and influence working from outside in, getting people to inside to start to stand up and make maneuvers, collecting intelligence, building cases. The other is there's a mass amount of veterans that are now running in, the, in alignment and support of the DMA for office. And as they filter into Congress, they will lead efforts to do the same. It, this may not take... This may take a number of years, but let me assure you that every single person signed on to that DMA will not stop this pursuit until justice is done. And that means if the military has, has justice brought to it, everybody in the nation that was involved in this COVID con is going to face that same justice. This is, this is not a game by any means. In fact, people within the military that have signed the DMA have already been under enormous pressure in psychological operations again. And there are, has been even efforts in the Navy to try to charge these people with mutiny, which that charge, if proven, would be death. This is a very serious document. And it's very much, for people on the outside who might think it's casual, this is not a casual issue. When people signed on to that, they did, they did give their lives or, and their fortunes and their sacred honor to this nation. So I encourage you to go over to the site militaryaccountability.com, and join that in support with your name and sign your name there and as a digital signatory on the parallel document, the mutually supporting document, because this is a stand of the nation against an evil, despotic cabal that has taken control of our nation and is trying to dismantle our military. It's Again, this is not a game. Stakes are very high. The effects on people's lives are very real. The government has unbelievable amount of resources thanks to a very willful and obedient public that continues to pay its taxes. And their resources are deep and immense. They, are, they have the ability to wage war on people many different ways, psychologically using the media and using other influence operations. They have the ability to torment people through the legal system to try to drain down their finances to break them. They have the ability to even charge them with things, even though they may be wrong, but they own enough judges, they can make things stick. That's what we're seeing in January 6th. All of this is possible within the structure that we currently live. And it's stunning because when you start to meet the people of the DMA, and one of the reasons that I am spending time, literally important time, putting these interviews out, is that I want you to meet these people. They're all high achievers, all of them. They are literally some of the military's best. And the military has driven them out intentionally because they refuse to take the vax. That should tell you everything you need to know about this operation against the American public. They want the best performers, the highest achievers removed from the military so that they can implement their socialist agenda, which ultimately is about equity and inclusion, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which means that you will have a very unachieving, unsuccessful, very marginalized military that will be subject to the threats, foreign threats, and be more concerned about getting their gender flip and having men cut off their balls and women cutting off their breasts, then they will 
about taking care of this nation. And when you start to flood that with the people from the immigrants, which is on the table right now because they can't meet recruitment goals, which is by design, by the way. It's all by design. They're doing a couple of things. One, they're ensuring that they can establish the need to bring in foreigners, in particular illegal aliens, into the ranks, which they know very well will vote Democrat and will be given citizenship and is a fast track, and they will now take over the control of the most powerful institution in the world. And it gives congressmen all sorts of cover when the threats start to happen and they start to blame the military's inability to recruit the right people as we see domestic violence increase from the domestic terror, which they've allowed across the border. All of this is by design. None of this is by accident. And it's all happening because we have a treasonous leadership in our nation. So the DMA becomes and will continue to be a central focus for what we're doing here. I want you all to be familiar with the quality of people that are here. They're stunning. Every time I talk to another one, I'm just, I'm impressed with the depth and the, the, the courage that these people have extended to, for our nation. So it's important to get behind them, sign that document, continue to press that document forward, and use that document as a discussion point to continue to keep the COVID con in front of people's eyes. People want this to go away. And the fact of the matter is, it's not going to go away unless we let it. The COVID con has been the most destructive attack ever waged on a public that we know of. And the worst part about it is it is used public and private institutions in unison using taxpayer dollars as a large part to fund a war against the American public to break their will and to literally maim and kill. And so when you go inside the military with people that swore an oath to protect and defend, we have our generals, every one of them, that were complicit in waging a war against our soldiers using their commitment and their oath to protect and defend and their signing on of their commitment to a, a a period of time, a tenure, in service to the nation. They used it against them and illegally forced them to take a vax. A vax which has now caused massive destruction, huge increases in heart attacks, myocarditis, blood clots, and immune deficiency disorders, AIDS. This is, this is insane. Our military is not in readiness now. And quite frankly, if we had to fight a war, I would say if we were literally going to war as a nation, I would tell you, Get your guns ready because this, they're going to lose. And I mean this because even those that have taken the vaccine that don't show signs are going to be subject to new levels of stress that they probably, their bodies may not be able to handle. We know that from what this vax has done. This is a very, very critical moment. So with all that said and this context built, let me introduce you to an amazing young lady with amazing courage, Brianna Cespedes. My great, great, great tío is the El Padre de la Patria de Cuba. He is the father of the country of Cuba. And uh, he started the revolution in Cuba against Spain uh, in 1868, the uh, Ten Years' War. So that's the bloodline that I come from. We are uh, revolutionaries. <laughs> this is fantastic. So that's, that's <laughs> quite a legacy you're now carrying on. Yes, very much. Fantastic. Patriots, today we have a really awesome interview. It's with Brianna Cespedes. She's actually Cuban by origin. She had been in the military, was discharged, or kicked out would be a better term, naturally, 
since she refused to take the injection, the death shot. Uh, she's since been a signer on the Declaration of Military Accountability and has a great story to share with us today. So, Brianna, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm doing great. So what branch of service were you in? I was in the Air Force. Okay. And so how did you decide to get into the Air Force? I mean, there's got to be kind of a, especially as it was Cuban origin, I suspect that there's a probably a good story here. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So I um, I grew up in California, um, Christian family, and we, I mean, from the beginning, we were taught about the, just the preciousness of the Constitution, um, because obviously my family, we came from a place where a Constitution was completely abolished, disregarded, and then created into communistic Constitution, which doesn't allow for anything except for the government to own uh, every piece of property every piece of uh, thought, everything. So um, it, it was really important to me growing up about the Constitution. And uh, my dad was always uh, enforcing uh, good values, biblical values, strength, uh, teaching about um, how to look past something and about honor and integrity. So um, I grew up with a very strong, strong background and decided to join um, really because I was trying to participate in something, public service of some sort. I felt like wanting to give back to this country because there's a certain thankfulness that we have as immigrants um, for where we are today, the opportunities we have today. So uh, ended up uh, joining in the Air Force and convinced my dad. So we have five daughters. So he did not want any of his girls to join the military. But of course, one of them had to turn out a little more uh, tomboyish. So <laughs> I uh, ended up telling my dad, like, hey, I'm going to join the Marines. Uh, I was trying to be a Marine officer because uh, we were homeschooled. So I ended up uh, getting my bachelor's by the time I was 15 years old. And I wanted to uh, go to law school and I wanted to become an officer and do all that. And uh, he he was not okay with that. He told me if I joined the Marines that he would kill me. So that is not an option, uh, <laughs> which I'm thankful for today, to be honest. <laughs> Those are so, kind of some extreme consequences right there. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. He, the Marines, he knew it wasn't a place for me. I, I had grown up very um, conservative with my sisters. I didn't really know what, what men were like. So it was a good thing that I didn't join the Marines um, and ended up going Air Force and instead of going officer, decided on um, taking a technical skill and wanting to get into the broadcast journalism program. Because I knew as an officer, I'd be managing people, but I really wanted to uh, just take a technical skill with my own peers. So got into broadcast journalism, and it was honestly an awesome career uh, until COVID. And so then what happened? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what happened is I was uh, stationed in Korea at the time that the vaccine mandate rolled out. Of course, we had experienced a lot of uh, quarantines and just random stuff, but it was a little bit more lax until the moment that I um, actually asked for a religious exemption. And I asked for the religious exemption because I was just convinced that this was a new product, that it was too new, and that... Um, there was something morally wrong here because I had seen all of the fear mongering going on, the coercions, how they, every moment they could would try to force upon our moral values that we had to get this, this new product. 
this emergency product. It wasn't even uh, an FDA approved product. So just legally speaking, I didn't know everything about the vaccine. I'm, I'm being honest. Like I was what, 22, 23 years old. I, I didn't really know what was happening. All my peers were getting it. Uh, everybody around me was pressuring me to, but there was just this feeling of this is just wrong. Because as a Christian too, fear is never a reason why we make decisions. Never, ever, ever. We only make decisions out of love, out of honor, out of what God tells us to do. Um, so I I knew that it was wrong just from that sense, from the moral sense. And then on the Air Force sense, right, they teach us integrity. They teach us service before self. They teach us excellence in all we do. And in this whole COVID vaccine program where they were mandating a big vaccine rollout, none of those character, characteristics and those qualities were evident. So it was it was just wrong all, all the way around. Once I had requested uh, my religious exemption, I was threatened constantly. I mean, my commander, so my major commander back in Jersey, um, he had emailed me directly without my supervisor involved in the process and told me I'm going to face potential dishonorable discharge, um, court martial, that I need to take this vaccine. Um, I had been quarantined on top of the normal amounts of quarantine that all my peers were getting. And there were benefits for vaccine, uh, vaccinated airmen if they got, um, they would have less time in quarantine. Uh, I mean, the, there's so many details that I could go into. Um, I mean, I was quarantined for over 140 days in total for the amount of time uh, that I was was in. So it was just, just a crazy, a crazy time that obviously um, there was wrong being done. And the illegalities, I, I I could just go on about the illegalities that were happening, the the discrimination, the the masking, the um, isolation, uh, the threats. My master sergeant, uh, the first shirt, so he's supposed to take care of the morale and welfare. He told me he can't help me until I get the vaccine. So simple things like that, um, that were every single day until I actually got moved from Korea to Belgium. And then in Belgium, it was even worse. Uh, I wasn't allowed to go anywhere because Europe had a COVID passport. Uh, so as, I mean, Germany completely locked down. You couldn't leave. You couldn't enter into that country. Belgium was almost as bad. Uh, you couldn't go into any coffee shop unless you had that QR code. That's why I hate QR codes, by the way, today. Um, so it, it was all um, a huge uh, process to just pressure people into... Uh, just trying to be socially acceptable and convenience and just, just get the vaccine and then you'll be fine. Um, but I wasn't willing to risk, I don't know, not being able to have children in the future or myocarditis or heart problems. So, um, yeah. How old are you? I'm 25 now. And those are some really mature decisions you've made. I, I'm, I'm complimenting you because so many people in your generation, unfortunately, just went along with this. And yeah, it's what we're told to, you know. And so do you had behind this, what I'm hearing is you, you were you doing your own research or were you getting family support not to take this vax? So I, um, it started with, I'm, I'm a researcher, so I, um, sorry, this car is super loud. Do you want it's me okay. to wait? No, no, just keep going. We're good. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely a researcher. So I was looking into more than like the vaccine product because science, uh, I just, 
I can't handle the science. I don't understand it. So more than that, I was just looking at what the doctors were saying about the procedures, not so much the science behind the product, but I was looking at, okay, why are they putting these mask mandates? Because just a few months ago in uh, 2020, the first few months in 2020, the doctors were saying, hey, look, masks are not going to help you. They can't actually stop a virus. Uh, don't worry about wearing a mask. And then all of a sudden, when I go in those same medical journals, they're gone. So I was looking more at the patterns and seeing that um, a lot of things were just disappearing. Mm -hmm. A lot of things were not making sense, just logically speaking. And uh, the way that they coerced us into getting this product was, was the problem I had. It was more on a pattern and moral basis than anything else. That's solid. That's really solid. As a researcher, that was also part of your job, right? In the Air Force, research stories. Right, right. I was a, a journalist in the Air Force. So obviously I couldn't do investigative journalism, but I did um, just news reporting and talking about what our commanders wanted us to, to say. So oftentimes I would uh, get a story about, hey, um, help with this vaccine rollout program. And I would say it as, <laughs> as least um, coercing as possible. Um, so they didn't really put me on the, the vaccine stories because they, yeah, I wouldn't do a good job for them on purpose. Well, um, this was, I mean, essentially what they're asking you to do, which is, I, I need to emphasize this. You're in the public affairs office, which is not an information warfare office per se, nor is it a psychological operations office. Mm -hmm. And what you're being asked to do is effectively conduct psychological operations through distorted stories by the command. Yep. I, is that fair? Yes, very much. It was a lot of lies um, and a lot of just threats that were going against our policies because I would read our policies. I was preparing to be a staff sergeant, so I wanted to to know um, what policies, what the AFIs were. That's the Air Force instructions. And 52201, AFI 52201, that one is very clear in talking about religious accommodation requests and the freedoms that people have that we can request those things and that they should be honored. So when we're talking about this vaccine, um, people should have known that this was an option and people should have not been treated differently for requesting a religious accommodation request. But that was being done all of the time. So when you made the decision not to take it, was it right away? How did, how did you approach that? Because this, they had this period where they started warning soldiers that right. they had to take it. And then there was this timeline that was put on it once that illegal authorization was put in place. Yeah, so it was um, because in Korea, right, I wasn't as knowledgeable of what, as what was happening uh, stateside. Um, I did remember Biden saying he wasn't going to federally mandate a vaccine. I remember that a few months before. And then all of a sudden, a few months later, we get this uh, memorandum from the Secretary of Defense. We knew a vaccine was being produced, but I honestly didn't believe that they were going to do this mass federal mandate. And that might have just been my ignorance or my my naivete. But um, I when that mandate came out, they were quick. They were on top of us. Once the we got the memorandum a week later, they were saying, hey, go get this, go get this. So I had to submit my religious exemption really, really quick uh, once it had come out. There wasn't much time. Um, and the way that I came to deciding not to get it was really in the beginning, I was like, okay, should I take it? Because I got scared. I mean, they were telling me all kinds of things. You'll get a dishonorable if you don't get it. I mean, you're going to get kicked out. You're going to have no honor to your family, all this stuff. You'll have no character. You're going to kill all the grandmas in the world. 
I mean, so I was at first like, like, should I just get this thing and, and let myself go to Europe and be at peace? Um, but again, it was the, it was so evident to me, the fear and the, um, just the immoralities that were happening, the illegalities, they could not do this. I knew legally we had the Nuremberg trials before, but we, we cannot do this. So, um, it was just too evident to me how wrong it was that I, I, I couldn't continue. Were you already scheduled to go to Europe prior to the COVID con? I was. Yep. I had actually extended my contract. If I would have not extended, I would have gotten out with an honorable. I would have finished my four years and that would have been that. Um, but I extended so I could go to Europe and then actually sew on staff sergeant as well. So you were an E5? I almost sewed on and then they took away my line number. So <laughs> okay. I wasn't technically demoted. They just took away my what I had already earned. Interesting. Nice little games. Okay. So this was, it was just a punishment is all it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I was non-recommended for promotion based on, uh, getting discharged for not getting my vaccine for the vaccine. Okay. So you were E4 at the time promotable to E5. Is that fair? Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. This is, this is a sort of nonsense. It's just unbelievable. So you were moved then from South Korea to Belgium in the peak of them mandating the vax. Had the authorization come yes. through? So it's crazy because they actually made a mistake. I was not supposed to, because I was red on the in the system. What does that uh, mean, red? So in, we have like a deployable, um, you know, in the system where vaccines that you have to get in order to actually move from one station to the next. So I was red because I hadn't taken this vaccine. I was not supposed to be able to transport to move. Um, but they made a mistake. <laughs> so I got sent to Belgium. Uh, and when I arrived at my duty station in Belgium, they're like, why are you here? You are not supposed to be able to move. Interesting. So yeah. they, very interesting. So wh wh how did that place you in your mind? I mean, you're, you're now sitting here in a foreign country at a base I can't imagine there's many others at this point around you. See, we have so many compliant fools in this thing. Yeah. You're one of the few that's standing up to this. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah, I was, um, the, my commander told me I was the first in all of my command, which is the defense media activity. So it's a wing uh, within the Air Force. Um, I was the first to actually be getting kicked out for this. So I was very alone in my, my own sector. I didn't know anyone at my base uh, in Belgium that refused to get the vaccine. How important was your faith at that point in time? Oh, it was, it was essential. I would have cracked because I'm telling you, um, when you're arriving, right, you're in a new country. Uh, my dad was sick at the time. He had cancer. Um, I was so angry because they would put me in quarantine over and over. And when I'm talking quarantine, I'm saying barracks that are established for COVID. In Korea, they were called COVID barracks. They'd send you in there. Uh, you could have like your bag and your laptop and you'd be alone in this army barracks room. And then they'd come deliver a meal three times a day, drop it at the door. You, they wouldn't even be next to you. They had chemical suits on. Um, the best time of the day was after the first week. So we'd be in there 14 days, right? So the first seven days you have to stay in there. Can't ever get out. And then um, the last seven days, you could go outside in a little tapered off yard away from everybody else for 45 minutes a day. So that was 
that was quarantine. It's not just like, oh, go go to your house and stay inside. No, no, no. It was literal locked up. I felt like I was in the brig. And when it happens once, twice, three times, okay, fine, I can do that. But this happened more than 10 times. And it was it was such long periods of time. Sometimes I would be back to back just because my master sergeant, she she didn't like me. So um, it was very, very um, difficult mentally, uh, spiritually. Uh, I, I was dealing with a lot inside. So uh, even now, I, I still get a little freaked out if I'm in a room for too long and the door's close. I have to open the door just to know I can get out. Um, so yeah, it affects it affects you, your mental sanity, for sure. These are interrogation tactics used to break people, literally. I mean, this is what they've done in the will of hoping to break your will. What did you find your greatest strength in Scripture to get you through that? Greatest strength was uh, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Um, I, I've been focusing a lot. So my family used to be Catholic. And I've been learning a lot about grace in the past couple of years. Um, when God says my grace is sufficient, that means when he sent his son on the cross to die for us, it meant he has literally taken our place. And his grace is once and it's done and it's forever and it's eternal. So this grace is living and active because it is, it is something which he has fulfilled beyond, uh, beyond time through Jesus Christ. So that that was um, the only thing that I, I knew. I was like, okay, I know that he is sufficient, even though I don't see why this is happening to me. But honestly, now I can see. Two years later, now I can see why. And I'm so proud to be a part of this 231 signers. I'm so proud to be uh, just regarded as one of the peers uh, among all of these officers and special ops and people that I never would have been able to talk to before. Um, I just feel so privileged. Well, it is a big deal, and it's it's yeah. awesome to have you on the note. So let's talk about, we'll continue with the story in very different ways, but let's talk about that signing on the, on the 231 since you brought it up. What was that yeah. like to be approached, and what was that moment in saying, yeah, I'll put my signature on it? So I, I have it uh, in front of me. Actually, I keep it everywhere I, I go because I just, I just love it. It invigorates me. I feel like I'm a part of the Founding Fathers movement. Um, that's kind of the way it's written. Uh, I mean, it starts out, John Adams, he says, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And and that really was the precipice based on why I decided not to get the vaccine. And uh, I, I just, I'm invigorated by this letter because of the, um, it takes such a stark position, but it also does it with a lot of grace and lo logic. It is not based off of how we feel. It's not because, oh, I mentally went through so much heartbreak when I was, you know, in the military, when I was in quarantine for all that amount of time. It's not about that. It's about the law. And that's what I love most about this whole movement, about the DMA, because we are saying to the DOD, hey, look, you are breaking law and policy, and we are not okay with that. And as citizens and as service members who have sworn to defend the Constitution, we are going to hold you to the Constitution, to your oath that you have broken. That's why um, I just, I love this letter. And when they approached me uh, to sign it, I was, I read that thing. I read it out loud. I read it to my family and um, I was more than honored to sign it. This is awesome. How did your family support you during all of this? 
So my dad, um, he was my number one. Uh, he definitely was passionate about this because he saw it as well. Uh, especially coming from uh, Cuba, he he's like, oh, I've seen this tactic. He, he, knew, he knew exactly what was happening here. Um, so he was right off the bat like, okay, hey, look, let's research this. Let's be careful. Take your time. Don't get this vaccine. And then eventually he was like on another level. He started reading all kinds of books and he would send us stuff about this all the time. Uh, and he was so, so proud of me. Um, and when I got kicked out, he was like, you know what, Brie? I, you have more honor, even though they, you don't have an honorable. I was kicked out with a less than honorable. I got a general discharge. So that means I didn't have the, the benefits. Um, but he said, you are more than honorable because you've done this. And he was so proud. He wanted me to, to be in the fight. And he actually passed away um, six months after I got kicked out. So honestly, he didn't get to see this. But if he saw this right now, oh, he would be, <laughs> he'd be uh, just, head over heels over this. So, and the fact now I, I have news as well, but I, I won't spoil that quite yet. Um, but he, he was very proud and my family behind me, all my sisters, my mom, they were supportive. There were different uh, opinions, but they, they have been supportive overall. Well, that's huge. And, and I, I'm sorry for your loss, but I'm also really happy to hear how proud he was of you and how you can carry that legacy in your heart. That's a huge thing right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you do have news. So you were, you, so let's set it up because the truth is that they unfairly treated you. They kicked you out with a less than honorable, which is a general. And as yeah. my understanding is typically those are typically in the past, if you, someone ex, was discharged with a general after a certain amount of a time, it would convert to an honorable, but that's not what they did with COVID people. People that resisted the vax, they held it fixed at a, at a general. So what's your news? Yeah. So first, let me explain uh, for people that might not understand uh, general discharge. Um, it, so an honorable is kind of what we we sign on for. Most people join because they want to go to school. You get the benefits. Uh, of course, you want to be seen as you served honorably. Otherwise, there's job uh, inhibitions and there, there's all kinds of problems that can come from not having an honorable. So I did experience uh, some of that um, just if I told people about my discharge status, it did change um, the way that you're perceived. I wasn't allowed certain VA benefits, uh, and I also wasn't allowed just federal employment. Um, even things like American Legion, they told me that I couldn't uh, join and be supported by them. So what what a general discharge does is, is it has that effect. Um, but what, what really I need to communicate to people is that this general discharge status is given to members that um, have smoked weed, they fail their PT tests. And I even knew uh, one who got a general discharge because um, he actually had committed a sexual assault. So this is, you know, I, I have the same status as this guy. And it's, um, it's pretty, you know, for someone who really regards honor highly, uh, it's very disheartening to have had that status. But that has all changed um, because uh, Discharge Review Board, so I'm encouraging anyone, anyone who is a veteran, anyone who has been kicked out for this, um, go to the Discharge Review Board because they are backpedaling. The DOD is backpedaling because they've realized uh, something is wrong. They won't admit it, but they are starting to give honorable discharge upgrades. So I submitted to the, the board about four or five months ago, and they 
uh, gave me the upgraded discharge status to honorable, which now means I have all the benefits. And yeah, I guess I, I'm a good guy now, is what I like to say. <laughs> You've always been a good good guy, so to yeah, speak. According but, to the DOD. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, this is one. I'm super happy for you. And congratulations. You. I, I honestly regret having to say congratulations on something like this, but right. the fact that you've overcome the system and you've been, you've been a fighter to overcome it. Congratulations. That's great. Do you find yourself as a strong voice for your age group? Cause this, you articulate so many things here, the constitution, your fight for freedom, you're standing for what's morally right. What, how do you see yourself and be able to reach your peers? Because this is a very powerful voice and a very important generation you're part of. Right. Yeah. I, um, I see it as, um, a duty because I have gone through my specific circumstance. My story has been used, um, nationwide. We went to DC and representatives, um, are very like, they're sympathetic. I don't know if they actually are active about it, but they are sympathetic to stories like mine. So I do see it as my duty to help other members that are in the same case as me. And I've met a lot. So I started, um, a group called Involuntary Veterans. We're a social advocacy group. We're on Instagram. Um, and we, what we do is we're, when I was alone in quarantine, all I needed to know was that there was somebody else there like me. And there were a lot of us. So my goal is to, to help them and um, to help us all get those discharge upgrades, help us all get to a point where we can trust the DOD again, um, whether wherever we are. Because so many people have had terrible experiences. I mean, I was single, I was in the barracks, and I got to go home to a family that loves me. But a lot of people didn't have that same circumstance. So that, that I see it as my own duty to um, help other involuntary veterans is what, what I call them. That's huge. You're really able to get to that generation too, which is important. And I say this because we're looking at Gen Z is a powerful voice coming up. And if there's one generation that the politicians quake at, it's Gen Z because it's the future voting block. Yep. And your your voice is powerful. It's art, it articulates well. And the positions you stand on, I would argue, are less common than I'd like to see within your generational block. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not proud of my generation oftentimes. Well, don't worry about it. I'm saying I'm Gen X. I still have my frustrations with us because we're all been, <laughs> my generation's been sitting on its tail for too long doing little of nothing until it finally starts to wake up. But that's okay. I mean, that's part of that small group that leads. When you look at the 231 and the, this DMA, how do you see that in terms of like the biblical framework? Because I often refer to it as like the Gideon's 300. What's your thoughts? That's interesting. You know, I, I had not thought of it in that way. I kind of saw us as like a body of, um, I mean, interesting. I'm a woman, but founding fathers in a sense. It, it felt very, when I read this letter, it, it felt very... Um, like a declaration, not of independence, but of accountability, because we are holding the line, like we like to say, um, because this is literally our last line of effort. Before, I mean, during the American Revolution, people rebelled because uh, they were the government was coming into their homes and they were impeding into their homes, into their private uh, areas. But we have gone so far as to let the government impede into our own bodies to tell us what we put into our own bodies. And that is literally the last line that we have. So um, I see this as a, uh, a group of people that are just calling them out and saying no. And um, in that sense, it is a battle for sure. Um, 
but yeah, that, that's that's kind of how I see this group where people that are going to say no at whatever cost to protect the next generation and the other service members. I mean, the DOD is falling apart right now. We have uh, readiness that it, we are not ready, <laughs> that we have uh, issues with our restitution. Even here locally on a base um, where I live, they completely got rid of an entire MOS. That's a, that's a job field. They got rid of it, the band field, because they're like, look, we don't need that one. We need you guys in other areas. We don't have enough people. So we are, the DOD is falling apart. It's not trusted. People within want to get out. People out don't want to get in. It's, um, it's time that we actually call the DOD back to the oaths that it originally was based on, and that's the Constitution. That's well said. Very well said. Thank you. We are in a, in a very interesting time right now. And it is what you're talking about is so many systems are collapsing. Mm-hmm. The pressure on things is they have pushed people beyond the limit of deception into the limit of them having to face the principal question, are we free? And that gets us to the core of what one of the oath elements is, is enemies domestic. So we have enemies foreign and domestic, and never in this discussion have we discussed within the circles of the military the concept of enemies domestic. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I I always thought that um, I was going to fight a foreign enemy. That's what we're told. I mean, I joined during um, that the war on on terror, right? So, um, which was such an embarrassing pullout in Afghanistan, and and. I thought it was going to be terrorists from outside. Um, But what I found was that the administration, Biden's administration, had been terrorizing its own members. What I found was that um, even commanders in which I was supposed to trust to hold to the Constitution would bend their back over and just let me be hit in an analogous sense. It it was... um, the domestic threat is is the pressure that that people are um, they're experiencing pressure and they're experiencing fear and they don't have the actual huevitos like Juan say to actually say no. So um, that domestic threat is is much higher than I thought and we need to change from the inside out before we can even deal with our our foreign enemies. We're not ready right now. That's when I was in the military, that's what I kept hearing. We're just not ready. We're not prepared. And that's because we're weak from the inside because our moral values and our, um, our sense of honor is, is deteriorating with time. That's a great and insightful statement considering, you know, where you have you, this walk you've taken, what's your concept of leadership and what did you expect? And then what do you see as a solution set moving forward? That's a great question. Um, my concept of leadership really is based off of the Bible. So I, I get all of my uh, worldview from the Bible. And the great, the greatest leader was obviously Christ. So he led as a servant. He led uh, with example. And he also led with focus of where exactly he knew where we're t- he's taking us. Uh, so what I expected from my commanders and from my supervisors was someone that was um, going to actually show me what they wanted, not just tell me. Um, and I did expect them to protect me if I made a mistake or if uh, someone was coming against me. 
And honestly, only one supervisor during my whole career actually stood up for me. Um, so what I see going forward is leaders, one of the a great solution, a very practical solution we could have is reminding leaders, if you are an officer or if you are getting into an NCO position, you should be reminded of, first of all, your oath. What is your oath? And you need to keep to it within the Constitution. We should regularly be uh, reviewing the Constitution. And then we should be regularly um, teaching leaders how to defend the younger service members um, to where we are always kept to policy and to law and not to pressure or politics. That is not the place for the military. The military should be um, out of the political correctness. It should not be wasting its time on trans uh, gender identity briefings with officers. Officers should be getting constitution briefings, not transgender identity briefings. Um, so there's a lot of practical steps uh, that we can take within leadership. But the big one I would say is, is simple. Just go back to our, our original document, our original oaths, and focus our leaders on the policies, which already protect so many service members. With a, with a broadcasting framework in journalism framework, yeah you understand very clearly the impact of stories on people's lives very and, much, yep. and the importance of accuracy, which the, there's one thing I could argue in the favor of the past military, having worked closely with PAOs over my time. It was not necessarily that we liked the stories for, for their speed, but I will always give them credit for the accuracy, at least an attempt to be that way, because they took a lot of care to not set up lies that could be used against them. When I start right. to look at, this current environment and you from a from your age group and your 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 peer class and we're talking about changes and it's an informational issue when we talk about this mm -hmm. how effective do you think we can can make an informational change within the military and get past this corruption of thinking that has been literally inoculated into the culture from west point all the way out to the air force academy, naval academy into our main body force. How effective and how quickly do you think that that correction can be made to get back to what you just said, which is constitutional foundation? That That's um, that's a really big question. I remember going to D.C. Uh, one time with my dad and uh, I just asked him randomly. I was like, Dad, if you became president, uh, what was the first thing you would do? And he's like, you see that building, the Department of, uh, what was it, Agriculture, you see that building, um, what was it, Department of Education, you see that building, Department of something else, right? He's like, I get rid of all of them. So all of these, um, these institutions that are so focused on um, these outlying laws that are, are only adding on burdens, we have to get rid of, of a lot of things. So we have to get rid of a lot of burdens is, is what I'm trying to say. Um, within the military, we really should relieve the burden of political correctness within the military. Um, we, we should keep to policies, of course, like we're not gonna discriminate based off of age, uh, sex or gender, but those are basic principles that are, are found within our, our most simple documents. Um, that you can find within the Constitution, you can find within basic religious policies. So we have some good policies that are in place, but we've been so burdened by these extra layers that are put on top of the military um, that we just need to, we need to clear out, we need to get rid of, and we need to simplify um, 
our military to focus on its mission. Its mission is to defend against enemies, foreign and domestic. That that's its mission. So um, I, that's what that's what I would would say when it comes to to changing around and how far off we are. Well, it's it's a lot to get rid of things first, uh, and then we can focus on okay, what are our core principles, um, and get back to get back to those basics. I know that was a big question. And yeah. I know that if, and I'm, you answered it well, and it wasn't intended to be set up, but I wanted to make a point too, and I hope the audience hears this. This is, your rank is E4. As you were discharged, you were going to be a E5 equivalent in the, in the common tongue, which would be Army's rank would be Sergeant. Is that Sergeant in Air Force as well? Just so I get it clear. Staff Sergeant. Staff yeah. Sergeant. Okay. So the reason I bring this up is when we start looking for the voices of change, we need to stop looking high. You just articulated out a plan to restructure our military to make it effective, and you did it from the ranks that most senior leaders would ignore. That's not the way we used to be. Because in World War II, one of the most critical aspects of our military was based on the E-5 and the captain, which was the O-3. Those two ranks shaped a lot of what we did. They were powerful ranks of voice and of looking after the soldier. We become a military overburdened by political correctness and political corruption, which now mm -hmm. looks at all policy and everything at an 07 and above with 06 is making coffee for them in the Pentagon, literally. So, I, I mean, I compliment you on that. I think it's a, a statement, too, to the potential of Gen Z, which I go back to, which is so important to me in a passionate sense because that's the future we need to be speaking to. Mm -hmm. Do you see your views as views that are representative of your generation or, or at least views that can be heard by your generation. What's your thought? You know, um, a lot of my generation that I speak to, if they got a question like that, honestly, when you were asking it, I got a little nervous. I was like, whoa, no one's ever really asked me that. I, I mean, people don't really, like you said, care about um, my thought on it. So I think that a lot of my generation would say, well, I'm not um, I'm not a professor of that, or I don't study constitutional law, so I, I don't know. And I, I think that that um, that has started. It, it started quite a while ago, to where we discredit ourselves before we even start. So I, I honestly don't um, believe that Gen Z takes ownership in their own hands, takes responsibility. I do think that they are seeing something needs to change. COVID set a spark. There is something that has happened uh, within Gen Z. I have seen um, some of my peers say, I don't want my kids to live in a world like this. I mean, during the pandemic, they saw all of the coercion and the, the wrong that was being done. So I, I think they set off a spark, but they don't know where they're going. I think we need organization. We need strong voices uh, in our own generation. And we need to know that we, we just have to do it. We can't, um, we can't say, well, someone else is more qualified than I am for that. Uh, we need to take responsibility in our own hands again. That's, that's what my encouragement is to, to Gen Z. The book of Esther, 17th book of the Bible. We have a woman who literally ends up raising up an entire nation, so to speak, doing everything in almost in isolation and ultimately becoming the influence factor that awakens the entire Jewish population to defend themselves. We need voices like that. And while I'm not going to put you as an Esther, it just seems to me that you're in an Esther moment. Your thoughts? 
that's what my dad told me, actually. Um, I remember being quarantined, uh, I don't know, 10th time or something. And uh, I was there walking back and forth, wall to wall, screaming at times, wondering what was going on. Um, and I called my dad. And I was like, Dad, I need to get out of here. Like, what do you think? Should I go AWOL? Should I do something desperate? Like, I was going, I was, I was going crazy. Um, and he's like, hey, look, I know this is not the fight that you thought but maybe you're in for such a time as this because you're not only standing up for yourself to protect your own body. This is a principle. This is a matter of principle. You are um, saying within your own ranks at your own time in your own command that this is not right. So he did say, maybe you're in for such a time as this. And, and it did make me think of, of Esther. Um, so perhaps this season is, I, I don't know. I would love to be a part of this movement. And I am, I am a part of it. I signed on and I am fighting every day for uh, this, this to change because we cannot have a weak military. I care about this nation. Look, I do not want us to turn into another Cuba. I've seen what happens over there. They don't have enough chicken. They don't have enough coffee. The, the country of coffee, they don't have enough for their own people. I cannot see this nation go down. I care about it too much. Powerful words and good ones, ones that inspire confidence, I hope, in everybody, because this is literally the heart of what we're about. And it doesn't really matter the age, and, I, and I, I'm emphasizing that. It matters the wisdom and the voice, and you're speaking well to it all. What's your next you, steps? Scott. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. What's your next steps? Yeah, so my next step um, in, the, in the good news, now that I have the discharge upgrade, I am uh, creating a template for other people um, just to be guided in what to say when they are applying. Because I'm really encouraging people to apply. The Air Force has just approved over 30 discharge upgrades regarding the vaccine um, in the past three months. So that's excellent news for members. They need to know and um, they need to start upgrading. They need to start applying. I know it's a long process. It's not fun to do, but apply. Then you can get that benefit. And as we apply more, we're putting more pressure on the DOD. So my, my ultimate goal is to um, put pressure on DOD and on Congress to where we are actually going to change the policies to make sure that something like uh, the COVID-19 vaccine rollout, the pandemic, the way they handled everything cannot happen again. Um, so I'm supporting candidates. I'm uh, working with the signatories to try to push Congress and to replace Congress uh, if we need to. All on board. That's good. Are you working on anybody's specific campaign? Uh, not specifically, no. We, we're, yeah, we're, we're talking of maybe a joint uh, committee at this time. But, yeah, not currently. There's not a specific one. That's outstanding. Yep. So what's your, what are your, and you, as you look ahead here, and you're seeing a lot of change, a lot of challenge, obviously. What would be your voice and your word to your generation and to others listening to you right now? You know, I would say um, biggest thing is take responsibility for your own generation. Uh, I think Gen Zs often, as I said before, give responsibility to someone else. And it's time now. We saw how far uh, our government decided to go with the COVID pandemic, and it's gone too far. So it's time to take responsibility. It's time to stepping up in your own community, whether it's in a campaign politically, whether it's speaking up whether it's uh, going on mission with the church, whatever it is, you, 
We need to to stand um, more forcefully. We need to get educated about why we are doing what we're doing. We need to get educated about our founding. Um, so I would just say, take responsibility uh, to my own generation and uh, don't be afraid. The worst that they can do to you is fire you, right? And then what? Look, I'm doing all right. I, I'm gonna go to school now. I have the honorable. It always comes back around. Good works do come back around well. I know that they say good thing never goes unpunished, but that's actually wrong. There's a good God. In the end, everything will be just one day. So, and I do actually want to add, since I didn't um, answer that question well, Scott, on the last one, regarding the candidates that we are supporting that are running now, um, I'm just going to give a few names so everybody can can kind of be aware. Nate Kane, uh, he's in Arizona. Cameron, that um, he is in, I think it's Virginia. Chris Columbe, he's in California. Jay Furman, he's in Texas. Master Sergeant Cupper is in Arizona. Mara Macy is in Florida. And then we have Matt Shoemaker in uh, Virginia. So we're supporting those specifically because they have signed on. And if people want to know more about who to support, uh, go to militaryaccountability.com, sign the petition, follow involuntary veterans on Instagram, uh, and keep keep fighting in your own in your own fight, in your own community. Yeah, I may have missed it. Did you mention Cam Hamilton? Oh, I did not. Yeah. Yep, him as well. Right. Sorry. <laughs> Big one. He's a, he's a good one. He's in Virginia. They've they pitted against him, just so you know, a, a selection from the Uniparty, who is a Special Forces veteran, so you can see how desperate they are. Wow. Yeah. We've been having uh, some issues with even the site. They're, uh, they're trying to take it down. So, Yeah. <laughs> Not we're, we're not a necessarily <laughs> we on took the it over. side, but it's the right side. So. We we took it over. That site's not going down. Trust me. Good. <laughs> <laughs> That's not happening. So it's good. Well, hey, um, do you is there a particular website or anything you want people to to go to besides? I mean, obviously, militaryaccountability.com. Is there anything else that you want people to point to to take a look at? Yeah, definitely involuntary veterans. Look us up on Instagram. Also, we do have. Um, a web page attached to another nonprofit. But if you look up involuntary veterans, you will, you'll find us, but it's a pretty unique name. It's awesome. We always close with a prayer. If it's okay, I'll close with a prayer. Awesome. Father God, Father God, I just want to thank you for this moment and just being inspired by Brianna. She's just literally lit a fire into a generation and is, is giving a voice to those that I think that are really sitting on the cusp of wondering what to do. So, Father, we just ask for the blessing upon her just to let her voice continue to echo out and to inspire many more hearts, especially those of her generational space that are trying to question and wondering, how do we fight this? And she reminds us again and again in this story today that it all rests and begins with the word. So, Father, we just ask that her voice becomes that as well as kingdom, to be able to touch the many, to raise them up, to lift up not just her generation, but the many others that hear her today to be inspired that strong voices are not anchored in age. Wisdom is not anchored in age, but wisdom ultimately is anchored in our belief in you, the word in which we follow, and the passions of what is true. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I mean, Isaiah, he was uh, called and he said he was too young. God said, don't say you're too young. <laughs> That's well so. said. That's excellent. That's excellent. So, Well, thank you, Scott. It's a pleasure meeting you. Absolutely. Hang on just a second after the show. So awesome. And thank you for a fantastic interview today. And I uh, look forward to talking to you more. Thank you so much. All right. God bless. Well, Patriots, that was Brianna Cespedes. 
She is a signatory on the Declaration of Military Accountability and a very powerful voice, especially coming from Gen Z. She's got courage. She has knowledge. And it really shows that it does not matter the age when we're armed with truth. A couple of things, just a quick correction on things at the end when we're talking about candidates. Nate Kane is in West Virginia. He was the He's a military veteran and also FBI whistleblower. He's been on before. He's a friend, a great voice. Matt Shoemaker is running in North Carolina. And, of course, Cameron Cameron Hamilton, which was who was at Bards Fest, he is in Virginia. So, And it's just important to get these names out as much as we can, make sure we understand that these are veterans, members of the signatories of the Declaration of Military Accountability. This is part of this effort to force change within the system, to bring the voices up that have authority and power to change the laws and hold those in the military accountable, including those who have retired and thinking they're going to escape the accountability for what they've done. That's not going to happen. And that's one thing I want to be very clear. There is still a window, and I'm speaking to generals and officers in the military. You have a window still to do what's right. Have the courage. If you've listened to this tonight and you've listened to a E4 in the Air Force who literally has more courage than almost every general in our military, you need to reflect on it if you're wearing the uniform. It's time to do what's right. Stop doing what you're told and do what's right. And for those of you that have in the military that have pushed this vax on your soldiers, come clean. It's literally a form of public repentance and now stand for what's right to lead this fight forward. This window's closing. And when it closes, don't look for mercy. You will be held to the full letter of the law. You will be held to all of what UCMJ has stated. It will come. If you think you're going to escape it, you're wrong. All of the violators of this law are being accounted for and being put together and cases are being built and you need to understand this is a very very serious moment in your career if you're a general or senior officer that has been involved in approving this illegal order you are looking at a criminal prosecution as well as loss of all benefits prison time and if you have done enough to warrant it the ultimate penalty for treason and crimes against humanity is death that's the law so do what's right. Be the one that steps up and says enough is enough and stand up against the machine. If an E4 can, then you should be able to too. You wearing the uniform. And if you can't have the courage of an E4, then take off the rank and step down because you're not worthy of the uniform of an officer in the military or for that matter, an NCO in the military. It's that simple. Patriots, thank you for being here tonight. Another great voice in the group of the Declaration of Military Accountability, and we have more coming. These are great voices, great Americans, truly powerful voices in our time. We need to continue to share this document. We need to continue to apply the pressure to the leadership in the military. And we're going to be executing that in another level here very soon as we will organize a letter-writing campaign to make sure that every general that is involved in this will be addressed in a personal note from as many people that will sign letters to let them know that we know who you are, we know what you have done, and we will hold you, hold you accountable. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. 
Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow morning for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deep.